Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. Wa la'aqibatu l'umtaqeen, wa la'idwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala ash-sharaf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen, sa'izina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'atahu sahla, wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'ta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Everybody. Um, so today's uh, uh, LP, inshallah, is going to be of two parts. Um, the first part, uh, I just want to share a few words about uh, Junaid Jamshid, alayhi rahmatullah, rahmatun wasi'ah, and what happened, and a few thoughts connected to him uh, that um, came to my mind, um, especially over the day and so on. And then today is the session uh, continuing from last week, but we obviously start at the beginning. And that is this, this famous issue. Uh, and I would consider it to be, I mean, it's up there. It probably is the most common question that I am asked in fiqh. Yeah, and wherever I go, wherever I am, um, in every single format. Um, and that is, what do I do about the prayers that I missed when I was younger or when I was not practicing or when... And they have, you know, the variations of that question. So we're going to look at that because it's a very a famous issue, but it's also a very, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but I mean, actually it is controversial because there are two opinions. One is a very dominant one and the other one uh, is not a dominant one. And whenever you are pushing an opinion which goes against the dominant majority, then by nature, I guess it becomes controversial. Um, and there's a lot of detail and I'd like to take it from an academic point of view and we look at the evidences and inshallah I think it is worth studying it properly I mean the straightforward answer is easy enough what my position is but that's not what we're here for we're here to look at it in detail so let's start off with uh, the issue of uh, Junaid Jamshid um, it's a tragic day uh, I mean to be honest every day uh, the Muslims are hit with bad news um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests the believers all around the world and everyone has different tests um, and the number of deaths of Muslims around the world frankly um, are, are, are amazing compared to normative deaths in, uh, for, for, for natural reasons when I say I'm talking murdered either in war or because people's corruption has led to certain conditions oppression, famine um, people's greed and people's ignorance and extremism has led to conflict and then and so on and so forth so we're already having enough bad news as it is uh, and then we have something like that uh, the crash of PIA flight 611 from Chitral to Islamabad in which 48 people, I thought it was 47 but it's been apparently confirmed that there was an extra member 48 people uh, were killed and inshallah all of them shuhada inshallah all of them are martyrs um, when something like this happens and there is something unique, then questions are always uh, asked and people express them, and that's fair enough. And I wanted to deal with some of these points immediately so that um, we, don't, we don't embarrass ourselves with thoughts that are unbecoming, and we also don't feel guilty for having other thoughts which are becoming. And because there's a lot of confusion when things like this happen, and you can see it in the way of the way that the people are talking about it. So for example, uh, there, were more than that, there were more than 48 people that were uh, killed today um, in at least uh, three or four Muslim countries of the world. Okay, why, why did we focus on that one? And when you saw people speaking about the, the air crash 
frankly, there's 48, 47 people and there's only one name that's being mentioned. And you can see every single person who's talking about it, they hastily add in brackets or at the end a disclaimer where they say, and there are other people who died as well. And may Allah have mercy upon them all. And they feel obliged to say that statement. And what's sad is that it may be not something which is coming from them naturally. And if it came from them naturally, then fair enough. But they feel obliged to say it in order to be politically correct and to uh, make sure they save face. And I just thought to myself that what, what is good to remind ourselves is that um, in these issues is to look what the Sharia says. What does Islam say about the matter and not what does public, public uh, uh, popular opinion? What is it that uh, our deen teaches us? What should we really be embarrassed about and what we shouldn't be? First of all, there is absolutely nothing wrong in people focusing on and, and making a headline out of something like a plane crash. Even though there could be a million people who die every day, but the norm is not a plane crash. And so when people, for example, get eaten by a shark, that's not the normative way to die. When someone uh, has a, another extraordinary death, or when there's a major crash or an accident, the nature of the word itself, accident, indicates that it's something which doesn't happen all the time. So therefore it's quite normal and one should not feel guilty in, in making an issue out of a story like that in deference to others. All right? This is something which people uh, have, have given different phrases to uh, a shame bomb, shame grenade, uh, trying to embarrass the person where, you know, for example, something might happen uh, uh, to a story that you relate to or an accident that is something incredible or amazing and you talk about that but you didn't mention for example Iraq yesterday or Aleppo today or Burma the, the day before or Myanmar and, and so on and therefore why are you only talking about this and this shame grenade is pathetic and it's completely illegitimate and there is nothing that is obligatory in our sharia to write or post or email or whatsapp or snapchat actually about any of these events at any time, and whoever you show uh, 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 sadness over, and whoever you grieve over, and whoever you ask Allah to spend, send mercy upon, it is that act in of itself which is judged, and it's not the lack of you saying it for other people, that's not judged. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who knows the hearts, and it is from the absolute pits of embarrassment and ignorance to criticize people for not mentioning others when you mention someone. And if anyone does something where they speak, speak something good, then that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the people. That's what the Prophet ﷺ commanded the people as well to speak good. And you don't have to speak every single piece of good and speak about every single possible thing. Yes, as a principle, it'd be nice if everyone tries to approach the Muslim ummah's problems uh, on a level. But we do not feel guilty. And I'm not talking about myself here, um, because I, I, I'll tell you straight, I have no guilt about anything whatsoever. That's my, one of my main problems, that I don't care about what people say at all. But I saw some people being attacked for this, and that irritated me. And those who are not used to getting attacked about these matters, that you didn't say anything about politics whatsoever, you didn't mention anything about Muslims dying ever, and suddenly you mentioned this, and then rah, 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 rah. So I want you to know that there is nothing in our deen whatsoever that says that it needs to be expressed. Actually, what the Prophet ﷺ said is that pain should be felt. And pain is not an expression. Pain is a reality. And a pain is something which happens inside. Because when the Prophet ﷺ said that the body, the ummah is like the body, when one part hurts, the other part hurts, this hadith is not to be taken literally. Because you know what? When someone dies, my hand doesn't hurt. When someone dies, my brain doesn't hurt. If I get upset, my heart hurts. And anything that happens as a result of me being crying or being really upset, and I get depressed and I get a headache as a result of that, that's a result of my emotion, not as a result of taking the hadith literally that there needs to be some kind of pain. 
So I want you to know that the the empathy that is obligated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by the Prophet is something internal, it is spiritual, it's not something practical. Action because of that pain is something different. Okay, and that's not what's being judged here. So I want you to know that never should you feel embarrassed or feel made to be feel yani, strange or whatever, ashamed for making a big thing out of a story. Um, secondly, when um, you have a story and a group of people who die and then one person is then focused upon, okay, people take that the wrong way as well. Like what happened today. Janet Jamshed, do you, know, do you know that there were 47 other people who passed away? Another ignorant, ignorant statement. We do know that 47 other people passed away. We are not obliged to talk about other 47 other people. If someone does, he will get the reward. The Prophet ﷺ said that whoever makes dua for some other, other people in their absence, it will be accepted. And the dua for that person it's himself will be accepted. So we should not be judged by judging, a, we should not be attacking a person for not making dua for every single person that they are unable to relate to. Not being able to relate to someone or not feeling a stronger emotional contact, uh, a relationship with someone is not madhmoom, it's not blameworthy. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa he had many of the companions who passed away and none of, uh, 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 the majority of them we don't know. Yani we know their names, but only because of historical realities, not because the Prophet ﷺ, he either cried over them or whether he made a mention specifically of their name and so on and so forth. The Prophet ﷺ, when he was grieving over Hamza in, a, in a, a, a grief which is unmatched actually when it comes to the male companions, okay, uh, unmatched. And what does that mean that the, the grief over the other companions is now less? He cares less about the other companions? Does he care less about the other uh, of the Ansar and Muhajirin? Ridiculous statement. And family members are going to feel closer to a family. And you know what? Muslims feel closer to people that they love. And I want you to think about this. It's not blameworthy to be loved. And that leads to a third point. You know, there's a lot of kind of criticism against, you know, um, and there are some criticisms to be made, but the entire industry of celebrity preachers and scholars and that they're the Muslim versions of pop stars and all this and that, whatever. I want to say to you that, you know what, I've never seen a major problem with that. You know, if it, they can replace all the nonsense and the filth that we see and the people that people use as role models, then I absolutely have no problem with that whatsoever. And guess what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Hadith Qudsi, He said, I love so-and-so. It narrated by Bukhari and Muslim. And Jibreel السلام, is the one who is listening and then he went and told the people of the heavens. And so the people of the heavens announced that we also love so and so and therefore Qabul is written then in the earth as the Prophet said. Meaning that person becomes accepted amongst the people. He becomes loved by the people. That happens not to everyone. And Junaid Jamshid was one of those people. And so our love for him because of his story, because of what he did, because of how much joy he brought to people. He was a normal person. He was, he was no one special. He was no major scholar. He was a person who had a past and he enjoyed it and he benefited from it. And he had a new life now and he enjoyed it and he benefited from it. But he was a Muslim who brought other Muslims joy. And he brought guidance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used him as a conduit to give da'wah. He was a member of Jama'at Tabligh, the world's biggest, most, uh, the most, uh, biggest and most effective da'wah movement that brings millions upon millions of people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to the prayer and to good deeds. And something in that movement touched his heart and through it, he touched the lives of millions of people. And we are sad because we lost a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I was listening to a very, very emotional uh, 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 Mawlana Tariq Jamil today. And he was very upset and he was, you know, recounting 
um, you know, things about him. He said a few things, subhanAllah, which was spot on. <laughs> spot on. He said, you know, there are millions of people who pray and millions of people who fast and millions of people who go to hajj and there are millions of Muslims who are practicing, but there are very few people of good akhlaq. And the one thing that we will remember about Junaid Jamshed is his good khuluq, his good character. Just a super nice guy, okay? And I didn't meet him many times, but one of the times I did meet him, and it was, and I want to share this with you uh, to, to you know, lighten the mood slightly, uh, it was in Dubai airport. It was in Dubai airport. And um, I was waiting for my flight home, and I see him in the uh, duty-free perfume section. And so, you know, I was there uh, trying to find a certain oud, and then I come across him, and he's in the same section. And so I tapped him on the shoulder and, you know, recognize each other and give salam dua and this and that, whatever. I said, what's happening? He goes, yeah, I'm waiting for my flight as well. And I said, okay, Tiek. And then uh, uh, <laughs> um, I, when I was there, he, uh, I said, okay, I just need to, my time's running out. I need to find this perfume. And so he goes, so, he, so I said, I'll come back with you in a minute. So he turned this way and I turned that way. And then there's someone who tapped me on the shoulder. It was just some other uh, brother who was, t- tap- who was traveling. And he said, are you... Uh, Abu Isa I said that depends on who's asking right? he goes no, you're the, you know, the, the brother on Facebook teaches this that whatever I said yeah yeah that's me and so he goes oh, I'm so happy to meet you whatever uh, do you mind if I take a picture okay now I just want to say something I absolutely detest yeah, I, it's very difficult to say to people like that you know uh, uh, and I find it very difficult to say in front of lots of Muslims because it's very it's, it's, it's rude isn't it yeah but if a person's alone I have no problem whatsoever Yanni telling a person straight yeah and I said to the brother straight I said I'll be honest with you bro that's Yanni not my kind of scene and you know if you insist then we will but Yanni you're, you're, you're a brother yeah and you know on a level strip, man, you know mano de mano Yanni it's lame this behavior you know what I'm saying so, so he was like look, he was like kind of a bit Depressed, so I said, but you know who really likes taking pictures? <laughs> I said, this guy here, and he was standing with his back here like that. And uh, so he goes, who's he? I go, that's Junaid Jamshid. He goes, the Junaid Jamshid. And he said it loud, like in happiness. And so he turns around, yeah? And I said, there's the guy. And he go and take the picture. And he starts pulling his camera out. You know, she's looking at me like this, like, you know, angry look, yeah? And a little sly grin. Me, I just legged it off, yeah? And then I just jumped onto my, my, my flight. You know, subhanAllah, um, uh, everyone will have their own stories. And of course, at this time, you kind of think that no one's ever done any wrong. But I just want to say that genuinely, this is a brother who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, had given a test. He had fame and wealth at a young age. And Mawlana Tariq Jamil in the, in, the, in, the, in the lesson today, he mentioned something specifically. He said that uh, when I was with Hajj with him just now, we came to Azizia. Azizia is a suburb of Mecca in the majority of Hajj packages or the normal Hajj packages, unless you're on like an 8, 9, 10 grand crazy one. But the normal Hajj packages, what happens is that you will go to Mecca and then for the days of Hajj, you will move to the suburb. It's cheaper upon the Hajj operator and you are closer to the Mina and it helps out uh, in ways. And I personally prefer it. And the majority of people do that. And you generally have a building. And he goes that when I was walking with Junaid Jamshid, we uh, came towards our building and on the top of the building, it had a huge banner and it said JJ. You know, when you hear a pack say JJ, it's funny. Tarek Jamil, when he says that, he goes, What's it JJ? Yeah, like this. So he goes, that, uh, And uh, Tarek Jamil said to him, See, look at that. 
and and Junaid uh, 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 Jamshed he said to him, he said, you know, what's amazing is that uh, my whole life I had this JJ on clubs and pubs, on the building, right? Clubs and pubs, and I never ever 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 could imagine that one day that this would happen in the most purest and the blessed of lands. And he started crying. And he was a he was a special man. He was a special man. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose him for his work. And I just think that it is uh, incorrect for people to uh, uh, slight that work or to throw shade at the fact that people are focusing on him. We pray with our all the love in our, and, uh, in our hearts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts the entirety of the people who passed away, all of them as shuhada. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give genital firdaus to every single member. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give ease to all of the families and the friends of the families of those victims that have passed away. Junaid Jamshid, frankly, uh, 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 compared to many other people, relatively well off, well off uh, people will be looking after him and so on and so forth. Our, our love for him is not because of his personal circumstance or lack of personal circumstance, and our lack of mentioning of other people is not because of their greater circumstance or less. Actually, they are more in need of our du'as, frankly, when it comes to, you know, if you're going to make it into an equation. But life is not an equation. That's the key thing, okay? There's something which is called love. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala writes that love in the hearts of the believers. And this person was a believer. And we are the witnesses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on uh, his uh, earth. And I just want to mention one other thing. There are some people that are bringing up a point um, that happened uh, earlier this year. And he has been accused by a sect of, of, of Muslims who uh, ha- took a lesson of his... Um, completely out of context. I'm going to share with you, and at that time, people will remember that I wrote uh, on Facebook a clear refutation of what they did, and I was very uh, uh, forceful in defending Junaid Jamshid, and I was actually very disappointed with him, and I got that message to him that he apologized to the people because he was forced into making an apology. What, what happened? He was, talk, he was giving a lesson uh, and giving an example about Aisha radiallahu anha, and he was talking about the nature of women and the nature of love and the nature of jealousy. And he was talking about Aisha, and he used language which was irrelevant to the audience, that you know she was someone who was very jealous about the Prophet ﷺ and very much in love, and you know that she used to used to hurt her that you know when others would uh, when he would show affection to others and so on and so forth. And I want to say to you, like I said then, that's absolutely correct. There is nothing wrong in, in that whatsoever. That's part. That's not an attack on the companions. It's It's not an attack on Aisha radiallahu anha. Uh, jealousy is a, a, a natural, the love of the hearts is a natural tendency and feeling. And what's impermissible is not for someone to, uh, like uh, in Sharia we know that it's not, per- not permissible for us to favor one over the other and allow that to be expressed and for it to then uh, make someone suffer and another one then benefit from it when you have been com- uh, commanded to be equal to people. It's not allowed for you to show that. But it's allowed for you in your heart to still love one more than the other. You might have a child you love one more than the other. If you're married to multiple wives, then you might love a wife more than the other, and so on and so forth. We are not held accountable for the extreme love and affection and feelings in our heart. And Aisha radiallahu anha, she was from the most yani, of jealous, quote unquote. I have to use this because people just can't use their own 
uh, abilities to understand what I mean when I say jealous. She was madly in love with the Prophet ﷺ. Madly in love does not mean that she's mad. Madly in love is an adjective which, which only emphasizes the word love. And as he was trying to explain this, he used these adjectives and bang, the sect that were always against him, they, they, they jumped on him. And because they're very powerful in Pakistan, they pushed there for him then to make a, a video and they accused him of being Gustakh Rasul and abuse of the Prophet ﷺ and attacking the Aisha and, 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 and it was ridiculous. And I was very angry actually at that time that people who were around him also, instead of, you know, just because of political correctness, they didn't take the side of the sect, but they yani, encouraged him to repent and so on. There was nothing for him to repent from. He shouldn't have, but he was just too nice. And he didn't want to upset people. And he wanted to listen to his elders. And that's the, his characteristics. And he was always like that, always listening to his scholars, the people around him. He never used to go, uh, you know, uh, do things by himself. He was a very much a team man. And you've got to respect and love him for that. And I just want to say people who bring that up, they've got it wrong. And people will bring that up at a time where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken a person as a shaheed, insha'Allah, then that's directly in contradiction of the Prophet's statement of not speaking ill of the dead. Okay, so I hope that that is something which people can reflect on when uh, we see this. The obvious lesson I don't need to emphasize, the reality is, is that Junaid Jamshid, very, very busy uh, uh, brother, uh, so much yani, uh, uh, down he was meant to be coming here to an event in Chido he was meant to be coming here to an event in April that I was uh, uh, organizing or help organize as well and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes the people when he wishes and it's a reminder for everyone that life really is just you know such a deception and any of us when we're building our castles and building our fortresses and living our dreams uh, don't forget that around the corner and it knocks at any moment is the destroyer of those dreams and that any single person here if they don't see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a reminder to people in the most ajeeb uh, of ways we need to build for the akhirah this is what he would be saying this is what the people around him that he took from are saying and that's what I say to you to all of us ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive all of his mistakes and to enter him into paradise, his family, every single member who passed away. And of course, without doubt, and not because it's politically correct, but all of the believers that are struggling and are suffering under oppression and lose their life. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for them an escape yani, from this cursed dunya. It is mal'una. It genuinely is. It's a cursed life. And whoever precedes us has bettered us. And we, inshallah, are alahiqoon as the Prophet ﷺ would say when he passed the Muslims who are buried in the graveyards, we're going to be joining you soon. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, uh, that's what I wanted to say really on, on Junaid Jamshid. Now we have a, um, an important issue. Okay, This is one of the most important, as I said, most common questions that we have uh, with respect to uh, fiqh. And it's something which affects everyone. You see, it affects everyone because... One of the problems as living in our cultures, whether Western culture, Eastern culture, is that we don't live in Islamic culture. And so, you know, when it comes to Islamic worship, we have this idea that you don't worship when you're young and you worship when you're grown up. Okay? And when you're grown up, according to culture, is 17, 18, 16, maybe even older, maybe a little bit younger. But we don't have it yani, as our minds are not wired to how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it. And it's connected to puberty. Okay? Our legal age for when worship must be given and when it is taken by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and accepted, then it's linked to puberty. And puberty is a very wide-ranging yani, moment. It could be from uh, in females early. It could be from 9, 10, 11 even. And then from 
uh, it can be as late as 15, but you're looking at that 12, 13, 14, 15, that's when it really happens, okay? Now, if we have our Islamic hats on and we're thinking straight, then we'll see that for the prayer, for example, we start getting into the groove at 7 and we start, get, we start getting disciplined if we don't pray it at the age of 10, Right At the age of 10 we are disciplined Even though it's not legally required And that's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And the reason for that is because So that when the age of legality starts We're not going to miss anything We're not at risk of anything And bam we're straight into the game And so what we have then are, are Millions, maybe even tens of millions of people Who did not pray when they became post-pubescent When they became baligh When they became mature At the age of 14, 15, 16 there are two categories that we need to put those people in. There are three categories of people, those who prayed immediately. This is not a discussion for them. And Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them. And that's the way that it should be. And that's not something that we should now make this mistake with our children. They should all be on it before they become post become a baligh. And then once they're baligh, they should be into the game, not new, as newcomers, but people who have already worked out what to do, and now they're just developing the mental side and the spiritual side. You know, you know what I'm saying? And so the people who didn't pray fall into two categories. The first category are those people who genuinely, it didn't occur to them. Neither their parents. Parents not very practicing. they not really any practicing. Prayer, yes, it's very well known. Known in the deen by necessity. But it's not something that came to mind Okay, they missed a clear obligation They knew it, but it wasn't something which was obvious to them They're not thinking about it The second category are those that were aware of it Know that they had to pray Were thinking about the prayer And intentionally don't pray And these are the people who we might call not practicing I don't like the fact that the first group Are called non-practicing Even though technically they are if they don't pray Because if you don't pray, you're out of the game I mean, you're as close to kufr as, as possible, okay? And so if you're not praying, okay, then that's a major issue. But there are attitudes to the prayer that differ. So for example, when we're talking from an aqidah point of view, there are even more categories. For example, if there's a person who say that I don't even believe that prayer is obligatory upon me, I'm not going to pray, and neither ever am I going to pray. And neither do I need to pray, because of blah 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 This person's kafir immediately, whatever age he is, he's straight out. Yeah, and if he's 15, or whether he's 50, he's out of the religion, bam. He's just become and lost everything. But then there are other, the other two lesser categories is the one who believes in the obligation. We covered this, of course, and you can see the lessons from the end of last year. He believes in the obligation, but he becomes lazy towards it, and so on and so forth. And that's the uh, majority. And then you've got this, as I said, this group of people who probably know about the prayer. Maybe they don't, but they probably do. But it's not on their minds. They're not actively trying to avoid it. I want to deal with this group first. With this group, Ibn Taymiyyah made an important statement, and it is generally a position of agreement amongst the scholars. And that is that when a person is not aware of, a, on, of an obligation, then it is like it didn't exist. It does not then need to be considered. And we gave, we gave examples of this in last week's lesson. For those who want to see examples of this, and just very quickly, we talked about the companion who was fasting at completely the wrong times. If you remember, he was starting his fast when he could see the string that was tied to his toe, right? Because he thought that the thread of the dawn that becomes clear in Surah Al-Baqarah was referring to an actual thread, which meant that he was starting fasting like somewhere near sunrise, when in actual fact he needed to have stopped being eating yani an hour and a half hour before that. Okay, The Prophet ﷺ, when he was surprised when he heard the person was actually doing that, and he said, no, no, the thread of the dawn is the whiteness from the blackness of the twilight, yani when, when the dawn breaks, 
He did not command him to repeat the prayer. The man who came to the Prophet ﷺ, as we call him, the one who was unable to pray, or sorry, he prayed in front of the Prophet ﷺ, but he was uh, praying incorrectly. The Prophet ﷺ corrected him, okay? And he made sure that he kept going back, and he made sure that he kept repeating the action until he got it right. Once he got it right, then it was no, there was no further command for him then to go back and correct all of the prayers that he had done yani incorrectly. Because he must have done hundreds. Who knows how many prayers he did. He was not told to go back and do it. And this is the case for all the obligations. We spoke about that in detail. Our issue today is the chapter of the one who intentionally misses the prayer. Who knows about the prayer. Knows that it's obligatory. Has a very clear understanding that it has to be prayed on time. And then intentionally does not pray in its right time. That is the person that we are focusing on today. And we mentioned last week, at the, and again, uh, it would be good for you to, to revise last week, um, that the uh, issue of a person forgetting the prayer, or he slept and he woke up, because these are two distinct categories, okay? This, in the famous hadith where the Prophet ﷺ, he said that a person, um, was the hadith that we said, a person that the person who falls asleep at a prayer time or waiting for a prayer or before the prayer and he was asleep then he wakes up and he missed the prayer completely or he just forgot to pray and then he then you know then he remembers it then let him pray it when he remembers it okay so this hadith is very very clear that a person who intentionally wants to pray and this is the key And he then misses that prayer for something which is out of control. Because when you fall asleep, okay, your body has overcome you. And when you forget, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that we made that dua in the Quran. Oh Allah, don't take us to account for that which we have forgotten. Okay? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I won't. And so therefore, we are not accounted for that. So when you do remember that you missed the prayer, then you have to pray. When you do wake up, then you need to pray. The scholars, okay, the four imams, and the mass majority of scholars, okay, in fact, let me say, every scholar alive has agreed with this principle. But then, the the small group of scholars then rebelled against the massive majority. Because the massive majority continued and said, not only do the people with a legal excuse need to make up the prayer, but those without a legal excuse also need to make up the prayer. Is that clear? They said that, If you have an, an excuse or you don't have an excuse, you have to make up the prayer, regardless of whatever happens. And they mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ, when, she, when he was approached by the woman who said that my mother, she had to give the hajj, and uh, she had to do the hajj, but she wasn't able to do it. And can I uh, do it on, what should I do? Uh, should I do it on her behalf? And the Prophet ﷺ said that that's a dain, a debt on her. And the debt of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is most yani, demanding to be paid or the most yani, righteous or rightful of being paid first. So you should do hajj on her behalf. Hajj badal as we said. So therefore, they continued and use this hadith and other hadith and this one. They said there is no difference whatsoever. In actual fact, and I'm going to give you some of their other evidence the Prophet ﷺ, when he said that Salatul Asr, if a person, he is able to catch a single prayer, because what you're going to see, okay, let me just give you like a little bit of a, you know, we'll go back into the future and say that the other side, they're going to say that once you have missed that prayer intentionally, meaning it's outside of its time, it cannot be made up. 
because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically as well for the prayer uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that the prayer upon the believers has been set at, prescribed at set times obligated at set times therefore if a person does it outside of that time then it's invalid it can't be done and I will talk about yani, the attitude to the one who does that the original scholars, the four imams, okay, the majority of all of the scholars after that, their followers, everything, the madhahib, what did they say? They said the Prophet ﷺ, he commanded a person to continue to pray the Asr prayer even if he only gets one rak'ah in time. So he does three rak'ah afterwards, doesn't he? Yes? Number one. The second point would be that if a person was trying to get the Asr prayer and then he missed it, okay, Meaning that imagine that he uh, didn't make takbir in time or one rak'ah in time before the maghrib time entered. Does that person this now not pray asr at all? He does. But he'll pray it now in maghrib time. The definition is that he didn't catch it in asr time. So this is another evidence uh, for them. And also on the, the day of Khandaq, when the Prophet ﷺ was in battle, the Prophet ﷺ prayed the day's prayers... This is their refutation of the idea that it's possible to pray a time outside of its time. Because we just said, Allah has commanded the prayers to only be offered in their set times. Then they said, what about what the Prophet ﷺ did? Which was that he prayed these prayers in the night time. So the, the daytime prayers completely missed in the daytime. And they were prayed very, very late at night because of the, uh, the battle itself. And also, another hadith, the hadith of Bani Qurayza, very famous hadith again, where the Prophet ﷺ, he told his companions uh, that you're going to now go to Bani Qurayza and I don't want you to pray Asr until you get there. I do not want you to pray Asr until you get there. So these companions, they set off. But then they realized that, you know what? There's an issue here. We might not get there in time. Okay? And so they differed. They basically split, split into two groups. And the first group, they basically said, well, you know what? The Prophet ﷺ, he, he said that for a specific reason. It's now the time. He didn't mean yani, that we should miss the prayers of his own. So they prayed on the way there. But the others, they said, no, we're going to take the Prophet ﷺ literally. And he said that we've got to pray when we get there. Regardless, yani, whether we do it late or not. And, and a number of them, therefore, they prayed Asr when they got there and it was gone. So they prayed it at Maghrib time. So it was late. And the key thing here is that when the Prophet ﷺ met up with them, he didn't criticize either of the two parties. Both did an acceptable action. So this is their next piece of uh, uh, evidence. Also another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, that's uh, uh, another uh, narration, where the Prophet ﷺ, he said in the hadith, that there will be after me, سيكون بعد عمراء يؤخرون الصلاة ميقاتها There will come a time after me, where you will have leaders that will delay the prayer from its time. An miqatiha. Okay? The companion said, Ya Rasulullah, uh, So what do we do? Do we still pray that prayer with them? Yani meaning that if it's passed off its time, then we should pray by ourselves. Or should we pray with them? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Naam. Yani pray with them. Okay? And so they basically, the, the, the scholars, they, uh, they said that this hadith basically shows and it proves that these people, they prayed, they will pray the prayer outside of its time. And you're saying that it's not possible for the prayer to be offered yani, in, uh, uh, in, in uh, such a moment. Um, I will say in response to this, last hadith first. And this is what the scholars, uh, uh, some of the scholars replied with. They said, number one, this hadith at the end 
it does not mean that the, the uh, scholars will pray the prayer outside of its time, meaning that it will be yani, in the next prayer's time, because that would not be possible. Yani, if a person was saying to you that you're going to pray Asr in Maghrib time, then you would not listen to him, because that would be haram to listen to him, and you would then pray your Asr before. Actually, what they're referring to, what the hadith refers to, is people not praying the prayer in its right time meaning at its earlier time, or meaning within yani, the makru time, and so on and so forth. And so if they're pushing it back further and further, and we said that it is not, yani, you know, even those scholars, they disagreed about whether a prayer should be prayed early or mid or late, and we've, we've spoken about that in detail, okay? None of the scholars said that you pray any of the prayers in the last half hour, right, of a prayer time. None of the scholars. Not, like the Hanafis are the one madhab that delay the most prayers, intentionally, okay, for legitimate shari'i reasons, based upon evidence. None of the Hanafis, none of the uh, early imams or the early imams, uh, none of the early imams or the later imams from the madhab ever said that that corresponds to the last 45 minutes of a prayer time, or half an hour of a prayer time. And so therefore, the interpretation of this hadith, and it of course is a judgment call, because they will respond and they will say, what's your evidence that you're saying that it means from an excellent time to a late time? Right? It's a judgment call from us. It's an ishtihad. It's our interpretation of the hadith. Our evidence is because it will be impossible for the Prophet ﷺ to tell us to intentionally do something which is rejected. It's not possible for a person to pray yani, outside of its time. It's not possible to pray asr in maghrib time, what anyone, anyone says, for whatever reason. And then the three or four incidents that I mentioned about khaybar and about asr and about so on and so forth, what's important to remember here is that in every single incident, either the person has an excuse, or they are intentionally wanting to pray. So the one with the person who is praying Asr in the last moment, and then he, adds, then he prays the rest of the Asr prayer in Maghrib, he, intend, he intended to pray the Asr, he was hoping to get the Asr earlier, he was trying to make that prayer, and therefore he gets to make up the rest of that prayer. And the one who will then miss it completely, and he prays it in Maghrib, likewise the same. Likewise, a person who was fighting all day, or he's in an operation, like I mentioned, all day, or he's in some real difficult situation, some extreme scenario, in an accident or whatever, and he can't get to the prayer, and he can't get make to wudu, or whatever, whatnot. It is permissible for him, and he has to pray those prayers. We're in agreement, actually, with them, that if a person is trying to make the prayer up, and for some reason has an excuse that pushed them out of the prayer, then that person does indeed have to make the prayer. Just like the one who slept, just like the one who forgot. They're all in the same category. That is our response. Our. Who is our? The most famous names that I should use for this are uh, Ibn Hazm al-Andalusi, the Imam of the Zahiri Madhab, Dawood al-Zahiri himself, the founder of the literalist Madhab, Ibn Taymiyyah himself, Imam al-Shawkani, and then from the modern day scholars, um, Sheikh Uthameen is probably the most prominent and he is of those that consider that this is uh, that a person who does not pray the prayer within its right time then it is rejected from him it is rejected from him and he is not even allowed to make the prayer and even if he tried to do the prayer it wouldn't even be accepted from him that is how Hardcore, they go on this position. So that's why now, if you've been following it so far, because we're doing it
A person who intentionally misses the prayer, he has to make it up. Because you know what? Anyone who misses the prayer, regardless of whether they are have an excuse or not have an excuse, they have to make up the prayer. Whether 10 years later, 2 days later, 100 years, whatever. You have to make up the prayers. Let me just finish that part off. How do you do that? You would pray whenever you get to know, whenever you get the chance, and you would just load up your normal prayer time. So you'd double up on prayers, or you would find empty parts like in the morning and yeah, in the evening, and then knock out 20, 30. If you didn't remember how many you did, you would estimate, you would try and work out how many that you missed. This is the position of the four imams, okay? There is some difference in the Shafi'i method, but this is the position of the majority. What is the evidence of the folks who said that no, you do not make up the prayers, once the time is gone, the time is gone. Hmm, where do we start? I can start with this. Firstly, it's not possible to compare, we say, between two people, those who have an excuse and those who don't have an excuse. Those who have an excuse, we say, they have to make up the prayer. Those who don't have an excuse, right? those who intentionally miss, up the, uh, 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 miss the prayer, they cannot be, they cannot be uh, compared. You see, the, the majority, what did they say? They said, use, use normal an, an analogy, the qiyas. If the people who have an excuse, have an excuse, are commanded to pray, then surely those that are, don't have an excuse, they must be even more commanded to pray. Does that make sense? Do you understand the, the point that's being made? If people who have an excuse to not pray because they were asleep or because they forgot, they are being commanded to pray. Then surely those who don't have an excuse, min bab al-awla as we say, they are even more commanded to pray. Yeah? That's what, it, that's what you might think if you yani, leave it to common sense. But you know what? This deen is not entirely common sense. This deen is, is divinely revealed. That's what you would say if someone's being punished. Yes? The prayer is not a punishment. You get what I'm saying? That's the kind of common sense and analogy that you'd make yani, if you're being punished with something. That if we're going to slap the guy who uh, had an excuse and didn't do something, so the guy who didn't have an excuse, then you know, this is the kind of phrase that we use in, in like for example, uh, someone steals something and he's starving, right? So if he's starving, right, then we know that we're not going to then put the hat upon him. Nothing happens to this guy, okay, because he was desperate. And he's about to die. And so he has to get some food. And so he did that action. And it's not good, but he's not going to get punished. Okay? And we know that, for example, Sayyidina Umar, uh, when the famine struck Medina, then he uh, suspended the punishment for stealing. Because people were become super desperate. Okay? So that's a person who has an excuse. The idea, therefore, is that if a person is rich and wealthy and he steals, then he must definitely get the punishment. Now that makes sense. Because we're talking about punishment. Why are we using this analogy in Salah? Salah is one of the greatest acts of worship. Salah which is a gift. Salah which is a closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How is that a punishment? How is Salah a punishment? In actual fact, we'll say the reverse. And Shaykh Uthameen mentioned this, and I feel this through my, my uh, running through my blood. I believe this so much. That we will not even allow a person to make up the prayer, one who intentionally misses it, as a punishment to him. That's the punishment. The punishment here is that our, our punishment here is that we're not going to allow you to make up the prayer. 
The prayer that you are trying to make up is invalid because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that the prayer has been prescribed at set times. The action that you are trying to do is rejected because the Prophet said that whoever does an action, that is not from our actions, then it is rejected. And never did we know a person at the time of the Prophet who intentionally missed a prayer and then could offer it afterwards. We will say further that if a person believes that a person can pray after the time, then he should then by, by definition allow a person to pray before the time. Did any scholar ever allow a person to pray before the time intentionally? No. So how can a person then miss the prayer, not want to pray, pray, intentionally miss it, and then say that it's accepted? Further, how can a person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لا يحب المعتدين Allah does not love the people who are ظالم, those people who transgress against him. Who is a transgressor? The one who does not pray on time. Who is a zalim? The one who delays the prayer out of his time. How can a person offer an act of worship, which is a qurba, which is an act of sacrifice to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to get close to him? How can a person do that? Okay, and he is a zalim and mu'tadi. He's a transgressor and an enemy and a zalim, an enemy of Allah. How can that person offer an act of worship and it be accepted out of its time? It is not, it's not something which makes sense. Further evidences. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, مَنْ فَاتَتْهُ صَلَاةُ الْعَصْرِ Whoever misses the Asr prayer, فَكَأَنَّمَا هُوَ What is it? What is he like? He's lost what? His family and his wealth. Okay? His family and his wealth. He's lost everything. So hold on. If a person saw the hadith, then he would just basically say, Yani make it up. Why didn't the Prophet ﷺ then give an option for a person to make it up? He called it the fa'ita, yani the one, the prayer which is gone, which is missed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us about that in the Quran. Uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and woe be to those who pray, those who are heedless when they pray. So in this scenario, we should be given an opportunity to fix it. Yeah, and there are certain there are certain situations when the prayer is gone. Allah subhanahu wa taala, for example, when uh, when Allah subhanahu wa taala said, "فَخَلَفَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ عَضَاءُ الصَّلَاةِ وَاتَّبَعُ الشَّهَوَاتِ فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّةً." But then they came after them in Surah Maryam. But then they came after them generations who neglected the prayer and were driven by their own desires, and these people will come face to face with their evil. So the question is, why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking about a people who have missed the prayer? It doesn't make sense. Because those people then could just make up the prayer. Then there would be no such category as a person who have missed the prayer. Did you get the, get the point? That in Surah Ma'un, people are heedless about the prayer. Okay, let's fix it. I'll pray now. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in mind. But hold on, what happened about that prayer then? So the point is, is that the people who are not praying and then thinking that they can make up a prayer afterwards, that is not a prayer that's been made up afterwards. That you have actually achieved a permanent state when you intentionally miss the prayer. And that's why Uthameen, he said that we will not allow a person's prayer to be accepted for him to even go ahead. Tankilan wa sukhtan ali. Yani, as a humiliation to him and as a punishment to him. Yani, it's not something that will even be considered from, from that person. So that's from a, 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 a legal point of view. Yani, uh, uh, just doesn't make sense how an action after its time can be considered and can be accepted. So I think that this is, is clear. When you look at all of the evidences, you can actually come to a middle way. You genuinely can. And I do believe that Sheikh Uthameen has this spot on. 
that a person who wanted to make a prayer and he was trying to make a prayer and he had some kind of excuse, then this person has always got to make up that prayer, always got to try and fulfill that prayer. And that's genuinely because he's got an excuse. I'll give you an example. A person, he thought that he prayed Salatul Asr and then 10 days later, he remembers that I didn't pray Asr. He will pray the Asr there and then. And that's not a contradiction to Earth Amin's position. Because this person had every intention of praying Asr, but he forgot. He had a legitimate excuse. When he remembered it, then he prays. Ten days ago, second scenario, I'm not practicing, I don't care about the prayer. But my dad's telling me about the prayer, and I go and I basically go to my room and I pretend to pray. And I lock the door and I might, you know, do spend some time, whatever, whatnot. I hate the prayer that much. And then I open the door. And then for the next yani, five, ten days, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this stupidity. And then after ten days, my mind yani, clicks back into normal place. I realize yani, how stupid I am. The prayer is yani, my iman, is my life. And then I start to pray. These prayers that you intentionally missed, not going to be accepted from you. They're gone. They're gone. Okay? And that's trouble that you're going to have to deal with. We'll come to the issue of dealing with it in a second. But that's the, that's the practical way of understanding the differences between the two. To just close this chapter, let me explain then what happens. So that's it. Yeah, and we've got two opinions. The first opinion says that you've got to make up the prayers and it's the position of the majority regardless what happens and you've got to seek istighfar from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for not praying on time. That's position one. What's our position then? Khalas, yani, you didn't pray for 10 years, 15 years. Yani, maza time now. That's it. Congratulations. You've been given a green card and a khalas. No, that's not the case. The Prophet ﷺ, he said in a hadith uh, which is narrated by Ibn Majah and it is sahih. Some said that this is the statement of Abu Huraira, radiallahu an. Um, but Imam Darukutni, for those who are interested in hadith, found multiple asanid that are clean and muttasil, meaning connected to the Prophet sallallahu and therefore this hadith is authentic. And he said, "In awwal ma yuhasibu bi al-abd al-Muslim yom al-qiyamati al-salat, al-salat al-maktuba." Sorry. فَإِنْ أَتَمَهَا وَإِلَّا قِلْنَ ذُرُوَ حَلَّهُ مِنْ تَطَوُّعٍ فَإِنْ كَانَ لَهُ تَطَوَّعُ أُكْمِلَتَ الْفَرِيضَةُ مِنْ تَطَوَّعِهِ ثُمَّ يُفْعَلُ بِسَائِرِ الْأَعْمَالِ الْمَفْرُوضَةِ مِثْلُ ذَلِكَ The Prophet ﷺ said that the first thing that the slave of Allah will be held accountable for is the obligatory prayer. If it is complete, good. If it's يعني, done on time, everything was done, great. If not, it will be said, See if there are any voluntary or supererogatory prayers. The nafal, the sunnah. Yeah? And so if there are, then the obligatory will be completed from the voluntary. And the same will happen likewise with all the rest of the obligatory actions. And the same will happen with the rest of all the obligatory actions. Let me explain this hadith. It's basically saying, that when it comes to prayer, and it comes to all our actions actually, every action has two parts. The angels record everything that we do, and they are almost put into two parts. Two kind of like imaginary parts, you can say. The obligatory actions are in this part, this bank, okay? And the voluntary ones are like this. On the day when the mizan is brought and we are accounted, the obligatory prayers will be taken out, and it will be looked at. And there is a certain quantity and quality which is being expected. If the quantity is not even there, forget the quality. Because the quantity, you see prayer, as we said before, is what we call fardul ayn. And there are other actions that are called fardul kifaya. A fardul ayn, it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not looking at the individual who's doing it. He's counting the specific actions itself. 
Every single fard al-ayn will be accounted for. Every single one. So that's the fajr prayer. So you will need to produce X million fajr prayers over a normal life. Okay? Fard kifaya is different. Allah doesn't look towards the action. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking towards just the fact that it's done. And so therefore, it's not very important for it not to be in your bank. The quantity is not important as long as it's in someone's bank at that right time. You get the point? And so the fard al-ayn is going to be counted specifically. If it is not complete, this hadith is saying, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, right, now reach into his voluntary and now take out whatever he's got from the voluntary and now make up the obligatory. Fix it up. Terms of number, everything, get it all right, spot on. Quantity and then the quality. That's why it is so important for us to always pray the sunnatul mu'akkada, the emphasized sunnah with our prayer. If you ever know why we don't miss the Fajr 2 Sunnah, then always pray 2, at least 2, and hopefully 4 before Dhuhr, and 2 after Dhuhr, to always pray the 2 with Maghrib, to always pray the 2 with Isha, this is the reason. If you wanted to know why that your, your, your parents and your countrymen are praying Nafal all the time, this is the reason. The Ghair Mu'akkad, 4 before Asr, 4 before Salatul Isha. If you want to see why they're praying at Jum'ah, why they're adding another 4 or 2 after uh, the, the Salatul Dhuhr for the Hanafis, why is it that people are so eager to be able to pray the Duha prayer in the mornings? Why is it that people pray a Salatul Awabin yani in the evenings after Maghrib? Why is it that the people are always looking to go to uh, Aqsa to pray, to go to Medina to pray, to go to the Haram where the prayers are increased? It's because of this hadith. Because these sunan prayers are the prayers that actually confirm our, uh, our, our position. They fix and they rescue us from the mistakes of us not doing it right with the obligatory. Without these, if there's nothing there in the voluntary bank and you can't fix yani, the obligatory bank, we've, we're finished. We're done. And if you think about this hadith, it's a very important primer for our other actions. For zakah, for example. Most folks ain't got a clue what they're doing with zakah. They don't know when to pay it. But most of them don't pay it. When they pay it, they pay incorrect amounts. And people think that they did a great job by saying, you know, I paid it 2.5%. No measly amount. Zakah is obligatory. Don't speak to me about, oblig- about zakah. I don't rate a person if he did zakah. Zakah you have to do anyway. That's why it makes me absolutely insanely mad when people say to me that, can I use my zakah to build a school? Or can I use my zakah to yeah, I need support X and X organization giving da'wah? You heard that one a lot, right? Can this uh, be given for da'wah? And c- can I use my zakah to pay for lawyers' fees to free prisoners? Or No, 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 not that. Can I use my zakah to uh, some kind of Islamic project or the da'wah office or blah, blah, blah? I want to say to you, bro, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it very, very clear that the most desperate of people are given their zakah as cash in their hands to help them. And you know every other Islamic obligation you just mentioned there? Put your hand in your pocket and give it a sadaqah. That's what you're meant to do. Tight paggy. Kasme. Everything he wants to get covered with is 2.5% zakah. Kasme is the same. Wallah, I'm telling you. Us packs are a disaster. It, Wallah, it drives me nuts. Yani, we're meant to be dealing with all of this. Wallah, can we use, use zakah to build roads in our thing? Are you kidding me? Are you flipping kidding me? If you heard that from the government, they're trying to blag you. They're trying to basically and they take the public purse and protect that and use your zakat money. If it comes from individuals yani, who are in their own little bin and they want to do a little concrete path yani, on the mountain, whatever, that's your own money you should pay for. What happened to sadaqah? What happened to... Look at the... You know who got this right? The Hanafis. Not the Hanafis, sorry, the Deobandis. They got it right. You go into one of their masjids, 
There's like 10 different categories to put your money in. There's zakah, sadaqah, lillah, riba money, <laughs> X, Y, Z. You just bring that money, there'll be a new, there'll be a new one. Five pound notes, new five pound notes, <laughs> new 10 pound notes, yeah? We take them all. That's enterprise. That's the only people encouraging, listen, we will take monies. We will take monies. We will deal with it. Don't worry. Don't just try to write off every single charitable action in your life yani just as zakah. You get what I'm saying? So fasting, for example. Why are we so encouraged to follow the 30 of Ramadan with six after it of Shawwal? And it is yani, like the one who finished, uh, fasted the entire year. Because you need the rest of those fasts of the entire year, quality and quantity-wise, to make up for the nonsense that you offered yani, as your Ramadan fast. People honestly, genuinely... The first one or two fasts, they're on it, and then the rest, they just go into autopilot. And basically, what you do is you just be yourself, but be a hungry self. That's it. That's basically what you are for the rest of Ramadan. They thought that I offered a fast. Allah, where the Prophet ﷺ, he said that Allah is not in need of you leaving your food and drink. What is that? That's just basically a hungry person. You need a change. Fasting makes a change. Allah said, so that you can be people of taqwa. So if that's not being developed in you, then your fast was a waste of time. So you need some real big, high quality Mondays and Thursdays and the three middle days of the, the, the white days of the month and, and, and. Yani, that's the, 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 the concept, yes? And then hajj. Okay, hajj. Hajj people, yani, the cost of it means that most people only do it once. But actually hajj is hard as well. Hajj is hard work. It's not easy. Okay? Seriously. But then, Umrah, that's a lot easier. A lot cheaper. A lot more often it can be done. All throughout the rest of the year. This and it's a sunnah act. It's not obligatory. And so you see that the obligatory acts have their partners from the voluntary. So, what's our position, folks? Our position is a person who missed the obligatory prayers. Intentionally. They are not to make them up. They are forgiven for uh, this uh, idea if they follow the following two principles. The first thing, they must make tawbah, and the second thing, they will have to build up so many nafil prayers that yani, when they're thinking mentally, I should now make up a missed prayer of obligatory, instead, do some nafil prayers because that is what's going to actually fix the ones that you have missed. But let's just go back to number one, tawbah. And I end on this point, and then we take the questions. Tawbah is a, uh, is a phrase which is very, very light on the lips, especially us packs. Yep, toba, 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 toba. Yep, toba, toba is like part of normal vocab, right? But, uh, and there's a problem with that. I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is, is that toba is one of the greatest and most incredible achievements possible. In fact, it is the ultimate achievement. If you want to know whether what is the most difficult thing that a person can ever do in his life and the most successful thing that he can ever do in his life is for that person to have his tawbah accepted. Because everyone at some point in their life is going to sin. And everyone is going to have to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if your tawbah is accepted, then that means you turn back. And Jannah is only the only thing that you get for tawbah being accepted. If your tawbah is accepted, there is no fire. I want you to understand that. If your tawbah is accepted, there cannot be fire. There cannot be punishment. Because the whole concept of tawbah is to save you from punishment. Tawbah is what allows you to save, be saved from punishment. It's a mighty thing and we, we belittle it. I want to give you the conditions of tawbah so that everyone knows what they need to achieve for it to be accepted. The first one, the first condition of tawbah. If you want to know how can I do tawbah and it be accepted, then number one, it has to be sincere for the sake of Allah. Number one, sincere for the sake of Allah. 
it's very possible that people يعني, do an, uh, an act or say something to save face in front of people. It happens, okay? And, you know, a person, for example, uh, uh, you know, political correctness, someone is, you know, genuinely, okay, I'll make Tawbah, all right. And he does it literally for the sake of the people. He doesn't care at all. He doesn't even consider he did anything wrong, right? No, a person who wants to do Tawbah and for it to be accepted, number one, has to be done for the sake of Allah, al-ikhlas, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, he has to make what we call istighfar, okay? So asking the actual seeking of forgiveness, it's the actual act of يعني, you expressing your tawbah. How does a person do tawbah? Because tawbah means repenting. So one, he has to be for the sake of Allah. Two, he actually says astaghfirullah. You have to have astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayh. Astaghfirullah, astaghfiruk ya Allah. Faghfirli ya Rabb. Forgive me ya Allah. The seeking of forgiveness is an in, in, integral part. There's got to be a, an, express, an expression of that. Number three, the expression of istighfar has to be internal as well. And there's only one possible expression of istighfar, and that's grief. That's called nadam. There has to be grief. If you're saying it for the sake of Allah, I seek reference, I seek, I seek repentance, ya Allah, astaghfirullah, and you don't feel it, like you don't care. And in the heart, you're completely content with what you did. But you just know you've got to go through the process. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it for the sake of Allah if that's what it does. Yeah, but you don't feel it, your tawbah is not real. Your tawbah is not accepted. You have to feel grief. And that grief doesn't have to, because there are conditions and there are recommendations. I'll mention the first recommendation now. That grief should express yourself. If you are not crying about that, then to be honest, you're not really feeling the, the, the magnitude of the sin that you need to make tawbah from. If you are believing that the missing the prayer was some kind of joke and it's not upsetting you, then you've got to really go back and realize what it is that you've just missed. What is it that you are actually seeking repentance for? How big an act of kufr have you left? How fortunate you are that you are even at this moment being given the chance to make tawbah. Because there are many, many people who will not even have the, the feeling or the idea at all to make tawbah. Okay, so I want you to think about that as well. So a person should try to express that grief in some way. The next condition is an obvious one, but it needs to be said. You must stop immediately. It has to be absolutely, the act that you are doing must be stopped. You can't, for example, make tawbah from zina and continue to make zina. Or make tawbah from salah and then continue to miss the prayer. Okay, condition number five. You must make a clear irada, a determined intention to not go back to that action again. So it is not just that you stop the action, because that's one thing, but to actually have a resolve that I will not go back to that action again, then that's what you must have, and you must try it. Now, I just want to mention as a side point, because people get confused here. Does that mean that therefore the tawbah is all over if a person then does go back to that sin? Okay? The answer is, is that yes, that tawbah itself became invalidated because you cancelled it out, but not that you can't make tawbah again. And I want you to know that the Muslim is never يعني, in a static state. Don't believe that anyone will ever be anything other than always making tawbah. That is, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, Kul ibn Adam khatta. We mentioned this hadith so many times. And you must memorize it. It's the most greatest hadith. All of the human beings are making sins, making mistakes. وَخَيْرُ الْخَطَّائِينَ التَّوَّابُونَ Now listen. The best of the people who sin and make mistakes are At-Tawwabun Not Al-Ladheena Yatub I mentioned this point yani, in the Dhikr video yesterday on Facebook yeah? 
There's a difference between someone who makes repentance. He's called alladina yatub, okay? Or yatub, the one who seeks repentance. Or alladitab, rather I should say more accurately, the one Dani who made repentance. At-tawabun is a permanent state. It's yani, who you are all the time. It's a title. At-tawabun is a title. And you only get the title of a taib singular, at-tawabun, plural, if you're doing it all the time. If you're doing it all the time. That's a big difference. And I, I said, you know, there's a difference between someone who, when you say he plays football, that means he plays occasional. And he's a player or he's a footballer. That means that he does it all the time. It's his profession. He does it constantly. It's his source, everything. You get what I'm saying? So, at-tawabun. So, by necessity, a person is always making tawbah. So, no one should ever lose heart that just because they don't do it all, uh, just because they sin again, that it's all over. No, the exact opposite. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects you to fall back but he expects you even more to turn back to him. And that's very important. And Hassan al-Basri, he used to give advice on this, and it's the best. The shaitan used to come and make waswasa and say, listen, why are you even bothering? Why are you even bothering? Because you know you're going to go back to that sin. You know you're thinking about it already. You know you're weak. Uh, and you know it's something which you're going to uh, uh, you know, fall into. And so therefore, uh, Hassan al-Basri, he responded, he said that the person should يعني, say, no problem, I will sin. That's not a problem. But I will make tawbah because that's what Allah loves. And I will then sin again if I, if I fall into that misfortune. But I will continue to make tawbah. And that's what you all need to take away from this. That it doesn't matter how desperate a person or how much of a loss that they feel. They must keep going back, keep going back, keep going back. If you sin, you make tawbah again. If you sin, you make tawbah again. La rahmatillah, Which is the, even a bigger sin. That you start to despair from the mercy of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that you're going to make that mistake. So you just need to go back to him. So those are the conditions. Another condition which I don't like to mention because it's so obvious, but you can put it down as six or seven, is that it needs to be done before you pass away or before the world ends. The world ends. Okay, before the sun rises from the west, as the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned, that's when tawbah will be seat will will not be accepted. Okay, it will be too late, and a person who is about to die, okay, in their death rattle, then tawbah is not accepted from them either. So it's clearly got to be within good time. These are the legal conditions of a tawbah. Okay, so those are the things that I have from um, the notes, and what we can do is that we can then take the questions. Uh, here and those who are watching on Facebook then can take it. Uh, need to go onto logical progressions uh, portal to uh, ask the questions uh, uh, there as well. Okay, so let's take questions inside first. Yes. So when you said that you obviously make dua, you ask for forgiveness. Yes. Is it okay to constantly be making tawbah as like just being, you know, just like? Absolutely. The question is, is that when you said you make forgiveness as part of tawbah, is it? Is it even possible? Is it even realistic that tawbah could be like a dhikr and made continuously? Absolutely. I'm just mentioning the fact though that um, like the same with tasbih as well, right? That we mustn't allow it just to become meaningless. So it just becomes tawbah, 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 tawbah. You get what I'm trying to say? But it becomes astaghfiruk wa atubu ilayk. Astaghfiruk ya Rabb wa atubu ilayk. Yani that you are saying it and it becomes a dhikr and it becomes rewarded every time you say it because it is a dhikr and it is rewarded, this phrase. Okay? Um, because there are a number of adhkar and you should check here, Hisn Muslim for that. Okay? That have the word tawbah within the dhikr itself. So it's a tawbah and a dhikr specifically. Alright? Yeah. What about number 
Yeah, I'd mention that. Good. Okay. There is another condition which is not applied in all cases of Toba. Okay. Not applied in the majority of cases of Toba, actually. Uh, but in some cases, it's, in some cases it is. And that is, is that if the sin, if the sin involves the rights of other people, then you must return their rights. So for example, if you stole something, which is of course a serious sin, and you must make Yani Toba from, you can't just keep the thing and say, oh well, it's all good. I made Toba and I kept the thing as well. Yeah, the thing has to be given back. All right? And so on and so forth. If you, Yani, hurt someone, they need to be looked after, blah, blah, Yani, whatever. The point is that if you took the rights of someone else, you must repay their rights. Because then you fall into two categories. Having to fulfill the rights of the human and having to fulfill the rights of Allah. The rights of Allah are easy always, or easier I should say. Because it is through seeking istighfar, making tawbah. But the other one is a practical one. Now, I want to say that there is always a follow-up question. And that is that I stole something and now I don't know what to do. Because if I give it back, then life is going to be over. Yep. Because then basically I'll be exposed as someone who, you know, is a thief or whatever. Yes? And uh, what can I do? Um, or a person, for example, uh, you, backbite, you backbited someone. And that's a very common one. People are backbiting others all the time. Slander is something very common amongst Muslims, especially social media age. Day and night people saying all this kind of nonsense, right? And uh, you know what can happen. You realize that, you know, you, you, you screw your brain on and suddenly realize that you got, you're in big trouble and you've got to make tawbah. And of course, that means to go and seek forgiveness from another person. Okay? And then you know, you got up to my man and he's got an ego, right? And he's going to destroy you over it. He's going to tell everyone and he's going to show you up and do your bestie. And he's going to produce yani, a negative vibe and a evil, which is actually bigger than the original evil in the first place. So here, the scholars have always mentioned, and I completely agree, that if you genuinely believe, not as a cop-out, not as an excuse, because you know you can be so abused at this point, right? That you believe that this person's got a reputation for showing people up and going to go to town with it, yep, then you don't need to go to that person. And you do two things. Number one, you make istighfar for that person, other than making istighfar for the sin to Allah. Now there's two things that you do for him or her. Uh, you seek uh, forgiveness for their sins and mistakes. And number two, you try to undo and uh, 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 overcompensate for the slander that you did against the other person. So you said he was a liar, you start spreading that he's truthful. You said that he said this, this, so you now prove and you write and you praise on that person and so on and so forth. So you try to repair the damage. So that's something that you do in the case of when you realize that, you know, if I go back to this person, it's going to be a disaster. Likewise, if you stole something, you'd give it in charity and you'd give it and you give other people money and so on and so forth because you know that it's going to be uh, a problem, but I don't want to make that yani to you guys thinking that hey, that's basically the the number one solution. No, it's not. You got to go through the process. Okay, you got to go through the process. Put it down uh, the screenshot so I take them in order for those people who asked. Uh, okay, so um, on the basis of punishment. Okay, thinking on the basis of punishment. Um, would it not? have a similar ruling as the one who visited the fortune teller that they must still pray but for 40 days the salah is not accepted does that make sense not too sure about that to be honest okay not too sure about that absolutely you have to pray are they saying do you think that do you think that uh, are they saying that a uh, person shouldn't pray yani well, as a punishment, 
It's not a punishment, but it's just not going to be rewarded. So, 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 what, what should happen in this case then? They're that they should make the prayer up. Should they, shouldn't they make the prayer up? Oh, right, right. No, no, there's no extra prayer. No, there is no extra prayer. Um, that last condition does make it crystal clear that there's no opportunity for Tawbah in the grave, nor on. Yeah. If these are missed, is this a sinful act? Um, no, it is by definition not a sinful act to miss the Sunnah as an individual on an individual basis. However, it is no doubt going to lead you into a sin or to becoming sinful when you start to leave off the Sunnah in general. So the Sunnah prayer is the kind of thing that you should interact with, even though by definition it's not obligatory. But on an individual basis, you interact with the Sunnah is something that you should always do, unless there's a, a difficulty, then you leave it. But if a person approaches that yani, uh, entire category as something that doesn't need to be done, then you will definitely fall into the haram. Our scholars have, have said that for years, and anecdotally, I can tell you 100% that's the case. You, you, become, you turn into a new state. You, you, you fall into a new state. Yani where it, you don't have your basic form of defense. Yani if, this was, if you are able to actualize and physicalize, if that's a word. Um, <laughs> analogize was the right word. Whoever's cussing me for saying analogize was the wrong word, it's a real word. Dissing my English, you bandus. <laughs> yeah? It was correct, I checked it. You checked it and it was wrong. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> comes to me and goes, ah, you got it wrong because you spelled it wrong, that's why. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Abbas is when you found it right, yeah? Jazallah khair. If we were to actually, like, you know, what's the word for physicalize? Visualize. Okay, good. If we were to visualize our sunnah prayers and we were talking about a battle, okay, they are your entire army in front of you. Yani, they're your infantry. They're your defenses. Yani, could anyone imagine I'm going to go into war without no front lines, without no infantry, without yani, 10 lines in front, whatever, whatnot. I'm just going to go out into war with just my three bodyguards around me. Physicalize. It's a real word, yeah? Allah Akbar. There you go. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, so you know it, it'd be madness and so that's why I'm trying to say that you wouldn't approach the entire sunnah like that either can I just follow up on that yeah, yeah. because you said it, it leads to completely agree yes I have heard someone from a Hanafi background yes actually missing it on a regular basis is sinful yeah I think that when they say that it's like I said to you they, they, they're, they're treating the individual act like an attitude towards the whole. An attitude towards the sunnah, missing it regularly, is no doubt sinful. Yani as a category. Because you have been commanded to follow the message of Allah So if you have an attitude that I don't need to actually do that, but just do the obligatory actions, then that is, that is an, out, it's out, it's an outrageous act. The sunnah it needs to be done in general. Individual acts of sunnah, it is permissible to not do them. If yani and without punishment, but when your attitude changes to the category and it becomes regular, that's a whole six steps after that. It's a whole different thing. Okay. Yes. Yes. Do you know uh, the, we talk about what kind of sunnah? Yeah. So, so for example, you've got your four before them. What if you were to pray them in the evening? Is there any difference between praying four in the evening than praying four before them? So the question is: Is that is there any difference? Is it possible to pray the four sunnah of Zuhr in the evening? Is there any difference? And the answer is yes, because the four sunnah of Zuhr before it, 
are called by consensus al-rawatib, okay? And the name rawatib means basically that which is formalized in connection with something, okay? It is part and parcel of a bigger plan. So the formal sunnah prayers, a condition of them is that they are prayed with their actual prayer itself. And they are, they are not, it's not possible to offer without excuse uh, in a different time, okay? Even making up missed prayers, there's a huge discussion amongst the scholars, sunnah prayers, and we're going to come to that another time, not our discussion now. But in general, the scholars don't like it. The only person is, an exemption is given for are those that never ever miss those sunnah prayers. Then as a, like a slight kind of little bit of an exemption, that person gets that little kind of blessing. All right? And that's because the Prophet ﷺ did that once. He prayed the sunnah prayers that he missed because of a delegation. He prayed it afterwards. Okay? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so many, so many other cards, so many, yes. So, are we to believe that if somebody's purposely like not wanting to pray, the only way that that prayer could be classed is if they get one regard before the time? No, a person who. Because Sorry, say it again. All right, so you're saying that what about a person who has no intention to pray and then when there's like a few minutes left, he suddenly says, oh, all right, I'll pray. Yeah? So this person, obviously their prayer is valid. Yeah? But this person is a munafiq. He's straight out hypocrite. Okay? Uh, or I should say, uh, he has the, 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 the traits and the characteristics of the munafiq. And if he continues to do that, then he will become a munafiq. And Nabi Sallallahu said, فَتِلْكَ munafiq." That is the munafiq, the one who, exactly what you just said. He's, at Asr time, he sits there watching the sun go down, go down, go down. Knows that he's got the time to pray. Watches it go down, go down, go down. Delay, 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 delay. And then, when it is يعني, right on the edge... He goes, he stands up, and Nabi Sallallahu said he, tuck, 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 he pecks four. Literally, and he does a quick four, up, down, up, down, down. The Prophet Sallallahu said that, and, and, and what does he do? He doesn't remember Allah therein, except very little. Meaning it's a khali prayer, it's a, you know, pointless. So, the prayer is valid, but it's horrible, yes. The question is, is that are these particular conditions of Tawbah, are they written anywhere or do they come from anything? No, there's no, there's no direct source or anything like that. These are interpreted. That's why some people say there's two conditions, others say six, others say seven. It's however imaginative you want to get, okay? To be honest, even to say that there, the Tawbah has conditions is a, is a new statement, it's a bit out technically. Because Tawbah is Tawbah. Common sense would mean, would mean if you're genuinely repentant, then... Like for example, let's say we weren't even Muslim. Let's say there's nothing about Islam. Let's say someone just did something wrong and the person said, are you repentant? What would a normal person, human being, expect from a repentant human being? Yep. And logic would suggest a number of things. That they're not going to do the crime again. That they're genuinely remorseful. That they're sad. That they stop doing it. That they try and compensate it. That they try and make it up to you. These are the human things that we'd expect. So of course when we're defining Tawbah, technically these are automatically included. But then we add a one or two that we know are not yani, uh, common sense. So for example, 
the time limit. That's not common sense. That's something that we know from divine religion. Yeah, from from revealed yeah in a source. Yes. It is possible, but yani, generally the rest of the sunnah shouldn't be done like that. Only the fajr prayer should be prayed afterwards. Only the fajr prayer sunnah should be prayed if you miss it. A person, yani, uh, you know, uh, and we, we'll, we'll talk about this in detail, because there's a lot of detail to this issue of, I missed the sunnah before the jama'ah, do I need to pray or not? Yes. In principle, no. This condition mentioned about the the end for the tawbah. Again, I mean, it can all apply to the person who, went, who came back after hajj as well. For example, like, you know, because that's one of those conditions that, like, you know, he will, inshallah, accept the hajj, obviously, uh, would be the one which is pretty much close to the tawbah because he would be sinless. The, 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 the problem with hajj is that um, the ulama, and they discussed it and they differed over it, and the majority of them consider it to uh, uh, expiate their minor sins only, and not the major sins. And I personally hold that position. There are some that said, yes, major sins as well, but I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I believe that those that said that it experienced the major sins, I think that they were just being expansive and assuming that during the Hajj they're making Tawbah as well. I only believe that major sins can be expiated by Tawbah and nothing else. Okay? It's a technical position. It's theoretically, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's technically possible. person goes to Hajj doesn't make Tawbah. <laughs> it's, it's possible. Because it's an act of worship. Tawbah is not intrinsically part of yeah it's not an intrinsic part of the Hajj you'd be the world's biggest if you did do something that crazy but that's the technical point yes no no it doesn't and one of the reasons asking about the 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 um, asking about the animal content of the five pound note if a person has touched it does it break the prayer um, and the answer is no and we discussed this in year one or year two when it comes to najasa one of the key things that we said that najasa which does not transfer its najasa i.e. it's not wet then it is not considered to do, be it doesn't transfer najasa and that's just even assuming that the thing is najas and it's not because the content of that is not something that it is, is in any kind of nature or quantity something which is expressed the people who are doing it are doing it more out of principle the Muslims are, don't have an issue with this okay but let's just assume that it was a najas note let's just actually imagine that the whole note in its entirety is najas okay if it remains dry a person then puts it down and it remains dry there's nothing that's transferred Okay, if it becomes wet, then some of that has come to your hand. As if it was najis, and it's not. Okay, yes? If you're intending to pray dhuhr, but you didn't get to the masjid until asr, yeah. uh, and now asr time is in, yeah, and they're praying asr now in the masjid, yeah. what do you do? You join that prayer with the intention of dhuhr and you would pray dhuhr with them whilst they're praying asr and then once you have finished the prayer then you will stand up afterwards and you will pray asr yourself and this is the position of the three imams okay Shafi Imanika Imam Ahmed and Abu Hanifa he says no it needs to be made up afterwards and it, it, that's if a person joined what the Hanifis will say to you and, and it is better and I'm in agreement with this is that you don't even go to the masjid you outside you pray your dhuhr 
or like yani, somewhere, right? And then you join. And then you pray the Asr with the Imam. Okay? In case of Maghrib, how would that work? In Maghrib, in the case of Maghrib, you will pray the Maghrib with the Imam. Well, my position, you don't go into the Masjid. <laughs> don't give yourself the headache. Okay? Uh, but let's just say you did, and you joined, okay? Then uh, after that, you will need to pray uh, uh, Asr and Maghrib again. So you'll, the, what you prayed with the Imam was a Nafal, and then you will pray your Asr, and then you will pray your Maghrib. Okay, but that's out of the out of the topic. Yes. Uh, what happens if you miss Nafal If a person has missed Fajr and he joins, he comes to the masjid for Dhuhr, he walks out of the masjid and he prays his Fajr. Doesn't create any of that headache. If he does pray that Dhuhr with the Imam, then afterwards he'll pray Fajr again and Dhuhr. This is my opinion. There's a huge difference of opinion of the scholars on this, but I consider Tartib to be obligatory. We're covering Tartib next week, inshallah. Huh? Uh, okay. Uh, my, which one's that? Read it to me. Which, which, which is the one? Because it looks like the, all of them are done. The summary one is um, they miss so many prayers. Yep. Doing as many nawafil as possible is not going to make you. What, what happens in that situation? Right. I just want to just talk to the folks who are online on Facebook. I said clearly that the online questions are only taken from the portal, logicalprogression.org is where you go to. Uh, not from Facebook, because I can't see the questions at all on that. Um, the question you're saying is that what if a person has missed so many prayers uh, that, that, that the nafal will not make it up? That's nonsense. It's not possible. I'm just, I'm just trying to uh, uh, process that question. That's not possible. That's technically not possible. Yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that it's not possible technically, and a person shouldn't even think like that. Meaning that if a person is say 90 years old and they didn't pray 90 years and they've only got like you know two years or they're dying or whatever whatnot, even then it's not, it's not an issue a person starts they start because the tawbah is the thing which is going to deal with this firstly and they start making as much nafil as possible and then a quick cheeky umrah and uh, <laughs> <laughs> with tawbah a few quick cheeky two rakats jobs two three four hundred thousand job done later let's go and have breakfast at a one My daughter's secondary school does not allow a prayer room for salah, and there are no Muslim secondary schools in Ireland. At present, they are missing Dhuhr and Asr, and they just about catch Maghrib. I'm guessing by catching Maghrib, they mean at home. Uh, I'll say two things. Uh, The first is that um, the children that are weak in their religion and there is no Islamic environment in the school. They cannot be treated the same as uh, Muslim children that are strong in their, in their aqidah and their identity, which is what's obligatory upon parents to build that confidence. And uh, I genuinely think the parents would be sinful, sinful if they do not develop that strong identity in their Muslim children and they send them to non-Muslim schools. And so if you're doing it right, then those kids, they have to find a way to pray in school, in some manner. Prayer room, no one had prayer rooms. The whole yeah, any generations of people never had prayer rooms. Prayer rooms is a modern day luxury. People pray in corridors, in broom cupboards, on the field, in the playground, whatever. And they've got to learn how to do it. And they've got to find other people to join with. And that's what's got to happen. However, if it's very difficult, meaning they, it's impossible for them to do it, they find it very, very difficult, they're embarrassed, they're ashamed, and they're very generally pathetic and weak like that. Okay, And it's generally 
it's genuinely that's my opinion because you've got to build them you've got to have them proud and if they are not then you are the one who are pathetic and made them pathetic okay then I believe that it is acceptable for this person to come home and to combine the dhuhr and the asr before the maghrib time it's unacceptable of course to do that after maghrib if that person was trying to then do that and practice that to pray dhuhr and asr at the same time and then come home and he actually missed it and he came at maghrib time then he would, because he's trying to pray, just like we taught this lesson, and wanted to pray, then he will pray Zuhr and Asr first in the Maghrib time, and then he will follow it with Maghrib likewise. Okay? But moving forward, you have to try and develop the, the, the confidence and the ability uh, of the child. That's the child's job. And then in the school, speak to them, you know, create pressure, and so on and so forth. Listen, no teacher wants, uh, uh, I was saying it to these boys here, for the Chido. Yeah, and you go to that headmaster, send the kid in. All right, make sure make them memorize the script, write the script out for them. Okay, make them memorize and say, right, I uh, just want to say that we wanted a prayer room. Uh, sorry, there's no prayer room. Okay, that's fine. And then they just come back two days later, and then you say, just want to let you know that before it becomes public, that there's a petition that's being made. Okay, the difference is that this petition is not just Muslims, but a whole load of students, in fact, the majority of them, and we didn't want it to go to the press. Okay, and we're just going to give you a chance to hit this on the head. Do you want to now give us a prayer room or not? That's the only way it's going to be done. Only way it's going to be done. Only way it's going to be done. And then they will either do it because they will bottle it, which is what they did in Chiru. They bottled it. Okay? Or they call your bluff. But this is the thing. There is no bluff. Then you go to the boy or the girl, Yanni, in your class, who's the one everyone fancies and everyone's Yanni follows. And you say, listen, I need a favor, bro. Okay? Right? I know you're not Muslim. All right? But I know that you would support the right of any Muslim or Jew or Christian to express their faith. And I want to write a petition, you write a petition, that we, the undersigned, the people of Jews, Christian faith, faith and no faith, we want our own place for meditation and whatever. And we want this immediately because it's against our human rights. And you can basically pass it around, offer them sweets, offer them kebabs, samosa, whatever, whatnot. Yeah, and then get every single person to sign it. Okay? You will get a good few things and then you will dangle it in front of that headmistress or headmaster. And then we'll see Yanni who's got the to make the first move. You sound like you've done this. What we did? <laughs> Take no prisoners. No fear. What's the, what's the slogan for no fear? Have no fear. No regrets. Whatever. Are you kidding me? This, this, this You're talking about Chido here. I'm talking about Chido. You, no, no, I can't talk about it. But I'm talking about a school. Oh no, forget Northwest man. I'm talking about. I'm talking about on an individual school basis. I'm talking about a school that has like ten Muslims in each year. So that. Yes. Ah, hundred percent agree. Hundred percent. Which is why, which is why I went very quickly to the Jewish. Christian head boy option. Yeah. What's wrong with that? If, if they're not going to build it, if they're not going to build it on a Muslim thingy, and they won't, as you're right, the majority of... No, no. Uh, absolutely, I agree with that. The majority of places will not go on just a handful of Muslims. But I'm, I'm not even joking about what I just said. I put that into action. Oh, are you kidding me? It's counterproductive for them. No, it's counterproductive to be confrontational sometimes. Oh, I'm not saying that, Yanni, you start off confrontational from the beginning. We, I said that you go in, Yanni, take a box of Matai and say, 
There's a couple of us Muslims, only one. It'd be great, yeah, if you do this, that, blah, blah. But a person who's asking this has gone through all of that. They don't come to me, yeah, you know, see me as Mr. Wolf. <laughs> You're only going to come to me with a problem because no one else can fix it. I can fix it. I'm a hammer. Think of it like that. The engineers had their go, and you know what? They couldn't design a plan. Then they call me in. Let's get that sledgehammer out and let's bring the noise, brother. I'm not saying it's ideal, bro. I'm not saying it's a work of art that I sit back and I admire. But Shaz, it's all about getting the job done. You see that? We're on telepathic level. Alana Kasmi, it's about getting the job done. At the end of the day, it's about getting the job done. Can I say, in my area, I don't think there was, I don't want to say it as Viva, I don't think there were any, any women in my entire county that prayed this No, 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 no there's no so what? It's much more embarrassing. Like the women, did you say? What did you say? I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. So when, you're, when you're trying women to pray, there's no women to pray. There's no women in your county. No, young women in my county, you're somewhere where really no one's going to accept your prayer. Oh, you're talking about female prayer. Yeah, female prayer is a whole different ball game, you know? It's, it's not, I mean, you're, you're going to a room. You're, 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 but I mean, as a guy, I can go out in the field, I can put my coat down, I can whatever. Yeah. The sister really needs a room. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I, I don't think I know anyone I grew up with who was praying that was not married at school. They were praying, they went home or whatever, even though they knew it was wrong because it's, it's, uh, it's a circumstance where you really need the teacher on your side or the head teacher on your side. And if you have neither of those things, then you're in trouble because you, you can't be confrontational like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're really going to create problems. Yeah. So I would advise you to visit Ireland where they're asking and see, see for yourself. Just, come, just, just came back from Ireland. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember this was quite, this was quite difficult for, for a lot of, all the schools in my area like this. We're very lucky here that we generally can't pray in the schools. Yeah, let me, let, let me again, now that you want the details, okay? Now that you're pushing me for the details, okay? okay. Um, there's no doubt, there's no doubt, as I've said in, in all the classes that this question comes up, that there's got to be relationships, there've got to be people, there've got to be, yani, you know, it's not even just that. You said five Muslims, and three of them won't even care. Okay? Yep, okay. Five Muslims, and three don't even care. And there's got to be so much, yani, com- uh, 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 cooperation and planning between all people to deal with this at every single level. The Muslims have got to get together. Like, for example, you think that this was just a walkover here, we made announcements. We had to yani, give this guy extra chocolate, all right, to agree to make an announcement for us. That's, that's you, Saeed, by the way, yeah? All right. And he, I said to him, if you allow us to, uh, any students who have got uh, kids in Chido, if you could meet afterwards, after the Jummah prayer. And we did. And we said, right, because I didn't know whose kids was whose, whatever, met up sat down and said, first things first, there's got to be a united front. No yani, trampy behavior that, oh, I don't pray, or this or that, whatever. Secondly, then, you know, trying out to see if a person can find it themselves without being confrontational. I don't like that personal method. I think that it should be yani, done with the uh, involvement of the school, make it legitimate, okay? Thirdly, it shouldn't be done as a favor. Favors don't help anyone, 
right? Favors are a big problem when you find, as you said, a teacher who helps you out because then another year is going to come when there's another group of people who don't know that teacher or that teacher moves on and then the old work is now gone. It's got to be done something officially. It's done very nice and a person's only going to be seen as nice if they're nice. If you're a top student, you're very respectful, you help the school, you're, you know, you're on the front cover of everything that they do, their volunteer newsletters and their photos and whatever, whatnot, they don't turn down people who are nice. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a full deal package. You've got to... The nice is compromised you, by the threat no, no, I'm saying, pro, Yani, you're living in a, a, a paradigm which I don't recognize. The paradigm that I know is that we start off nicely, as our Sharia says, we start with a good argument, as our Sharia says, and then we continue to continue along that nice path, as our Sharia says, and then when they start taking liberties and start taking a mickey and they refuse, then as our Sharia says, there is no obedience to the creation in disobedience to the creator. So whatever's got to be done, then it's got to be done. That's what Asharia says. Asharia does not say slap, 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 slap. It's not Christianity. We have a limit. We will keep going, keep going, keep going, keep nice. And if they're just messing about, they're not interested. They don't take any teacher's intervention. They don't take any other people's intervention. They don't take gifts. They don't take whatever. They don't take evidences. You produce the government things. You show. You have a discussion with them. Think of the benefits. Think about the people. Think about investment. You try all the possible things of niceness. These are a given. These are things that I expect to have happened way before. Yeah, any parent, parent governor involvement. How many people are interested only in councillors and MPs, but they don't actually apply to schools and have some influence? All that's got to happen. When all of that falls and you realize that a school has some Islamophobic problem or they're not interested, then the only way then to go move forward is because you've exhausted all the nice options. This is not a difficult concept. There's no disagreement on the issue of being nice. The issue is what happens when after being nice, there's no progression. What, then we just give up? I think the parents get involved. And the parents have the right not to be nice. What the, I'm, students, what? the student being aggressive can cause a lot of problems. The students demanding these things can cause a lot of problems when, when it's the parents that, that know how to do it responsibly. Uh, because you, yeah, I know you're joking. And you're saying, you know what, you're going to talk to this guy, you're going to uh, make a petition, you're going to do this, you can't. But in a circumstance where you're bound by the school's rules, so here's the problem. So here's the problem. Okay. Number one, I wasn't joking. <laughs> Number two, schools have petitions. School administration encourage petitions. A proper school. And that's the conversation that is had. This is a school which encouraged a petition for a certain thing, X, Y, and Z, whatever, whatnot. It is done in discussion with the person as an expression of their rights. Schools, especially in yani, these uh, areas where there's lack of Muslims, all right, they're very, very proud of encouraging in their students the right of protest, the right of yani, freedom of expression, freedom of rights. They're seen as that yani, center that protects them. So, no, I'm, I'm, I, I disagree. I, I, I don't believe that students should be scared away from taking action, obviously not by themselves. They ain't got a clue. Adults have got to be yani, involved and whatever, or... They do it themselves. But I don't think that, that uh, students themselves should be completely divorced from processes which this country is built upon. And the right of protest, the right of protest is something enshrined. We should respect that. Are we done? Protect this house. Protect this house.
is a class. Yes, 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 yes. Protect this house. We speak about it a lot in that. Okay, guys. What's happening this week? Oh, uh, sorry, yes. Uh, 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 in London, we have uh, Fitna. Okay. London has Fitna all the time, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, but this weekend they'll have specific no, Yani. A special Yani Fitna is coming to London. Like hardcore Fitna to London. So that's this weekend, inshallah, Friday, University East London, Friday night. And then next weekend, Sweden. And then um, I think that's it. Yeah. Yes. Manchester, I think, middle of next year, something like that. Or late next year, maybe. I don't know. No, 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 no. It, 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 it was, it was, isn't it? We did say that. If a person was praying, oh, is that the same one? Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I said the same. Whenever I say fainting, it means menstruation. Same thing. Our fainting is your menstruation, which probably makes about sense, really. <laughs> that was a politically correct statement to end with. <laughs> Get him off. Okay, Zakmala Khair. Subhanakallah, Muhammadik, Shadullah, Ilayah, Dostab, Surakallah, Mu'ajubali. Islam alaikum, Hatullah. Battery ran out long ages ago, bro. Aikum Salam, Omar, bro. How you doing, bro? What's happening, Yara? I'm not a bit confused with the Marshall explaining the things. Yeah. Did you make